Welcome to For 10 Points, the best podcast on the web for everything Quiz Bowl related. Whether you're a player, a coach, or just trying to improve, we can help you get better. I'm your host, Ken Romeo, and with me as always is my co-coach, Andrew Turiago. Andrew, it's been way too long, man. How you doing? It has been. Uh, I'm doing very well. It's uh, it's 2022. Uh, today, I believe, is the first day of the Lunar New Year, so uh, we've got a fresh start there, too. Uh, and uh, I wanted to try something a little bit different with today's episode. So if you like it, then uh, it was Ken's idea. <laughs> and if you didn't like it, then it was my fault. So. Um, yeah, you know, like, I know it's been a while since we've been doing this podcast. This year has been this year has been very um, different. And, you know, obviously last year was different. The year before was different. But like it's it's different for different reasons. Um, mm-hmm. You know, last year, it seems like the quiz bowl community was forced to adjust and mm-hmm. and responded in kind. You know, we we started uh, scrimmaging online in March of 2020 in april of 2020 and then last year almost every single tournament was online and and we all kind of dutifully and for the most part happily competed in these tournaments and you know we had that that sniff of normalcy over the summer mm-hmm. and then when we come back it's kind of right it, taken away from yeah us. really though yeah. you know and and now it seems people are reluctant to run online tournaments i know i am Mm -hmm. and yeah they're also reluctant to run in-person tournaments because Mm -hmm. it's not being they might not be well attended and they might be shut down at a moment's notice so we're kind of in this like purgatory where there are Mm -hmm. some tournaments that are going on but it's at least in the northeast we by now typically have gone to two or three you know, there's there was mm-hmm. one in New Jersey that was scheduled for January 29th and New Jersey abolished all of their after school out of state activities for the month of January. And it turns out it snowed on January 29th, so we wouldn't be able to go to that anyway. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. so so that was postponed and there hasn't been a makeup date announced. We typically over Martin Luther King weekend go to uh, Mannheim Township and that tournament hasn't isn't running this year and you know i i uh, we're looking to go to a, a tournament in maryland and mm-hmm. we we need approval from the from the board in order to go because mm-hmm. of everything that that's going on so um yeah we're, we're like in this purgatory and and honestly like our whole school year is has been very strange and i think that's why andrew maybe you can speak to this too you know that mm-hmm. we were very consistent putting out one of these episodes every month and we Mm -hmm. just haven't had the ability to plan these effectively and like we don't just Mm want to like you and i both care about the product that we produce yeah and absolutely and we don't just want to put out something to have something so Mm -hmm. so we we do you know we, we plan we put a lot of time into preparing for these and because of everything that we've had to deal with with the school year we just haven't been able to Mm -hmm. i know i'm also teaching five classes which is new um but i do i do think that this one is is you're being generous because i think this one is a little bit on me uh before the break uh probably late december i remember telling ken something like i'll i'll handle this next one you just show up and i'll set up everything 
And uh, here we are uh, at the start of February. So I needed a whole month to get get everything together. But uh, uh, Ken is coming into this one relatively blind. Uh, he doesn't necessarily know what I have prepared. Uh, and uh, I'll talk to that a little bit, I believe, after uh, we get into uh, some tournament results that have been posted and a few other things. It's time to take a look around the country and dive into the tournament results that have been posted. Uh, all right, so our first tournament is the Bay Area Winter Middle School Tournament, which happened on Saturday, January 29th, 2022. And this was uh, held by the Northern California Quiz Bowl Alliance in Richmond, California. Uh, scoring rules were NAQT, and they used MS40 as their package. Uh, in this tournament, Harvest Park went undefeated to claim first place, which and they averaged a whopping 608.6 points per game, including 25.5 points per bonus, which is just a dominating performance, Ken. Uh, Shunak Binwale and Kartik Anbaz Hagen each averaged around 100 points per game for Harvest Park. The tournament's top scorer was uh, Pranav Krishna Baranidharan. Uh, and Pranav Krishna Baranidharan uh, played solo, which is incredible, uh, for California Montessori Orangevale. Uh, so he is out there uh, fighting the good fight in the Terminator crunches, uh, and he averaged 166 points per game. And, uh, of course, Harvest Park is coached by Rupali Bindwale. I, I think that's amazing. You have two teams or two players on the same team that average close to 100 points per game. I don't I don't think I have ever seen that. I know it's incredibly difficult when we have uh, teams like an A team that has uh, uh, one really high performing scorer uh, tends to pull down the average of the other students on the team a little bit. And so to have two over 100 is really, really impressive. Over on the other side of the world, we had the Korea International Middle School Winter Invitational hosted by Seoul 4&A. Uh, this was MS41 and uh, kind of an upset in the finals here. So Seoul 4&A was just cruising along all day. Uh, they opened the day by beating Korean International A by 350 points. And uh, up until their, the finals, their closest match was actually against their B team, Seoul 4 and B, and it was a five-point nail-biter that A won 245 to 240. So the finals was a rematch between Seoul 4 and A and Korean uh, in International A. And this time, Korean International eked out a win 290 to 245. So congratulations to Korean International on their first middle school tournament win. John Woo of the Korean International A team was the tournament's top scorer at 64.3 points per game. And uh, honestly, Mr. T, I, I can't see results from Southeast Asia without thinking of Michael Harvey, who's a friend of the podcast uh, and always giving me updates about what's going on uh, over in Southeast Asia. So shout out to Michael and all the work that he's done for the Quiz Bowl community in Korea. Other results, yeah. Other results. Um, Alabama's in the middle of hosting their district championships, and winners so far include Baldwin Arts and Academics, Discovery, uh, Arab and Bumpus. Nevada had their state championship on January 22nd, and Coral Las Vegas Sandy Ridge took home first place. River Springs A wins their Invitational on January 22nd, and Killian Hill Christian wins the Georgia Association of Private and Parochial Schools, the GAPS State Championship. Nice job by Killian Hill's Christian. Uh, so I wanted to explain a little bit of my rationale for this episode, um, because as I said, um, Ken is coming into this blind. And uh, I said that I would handle everything. So uh, seeing this in your uh, podcasting stream or whatever, it's probably titled something like the Quiz Bowl Canon or 
the buzz phrase showdown. I'm a big fan of uh, those kind of split names or having some kind of a name that, uh, you know, grabs grabs attention. Uh, but when I think about the canon, uh, which is something that I had the opportunity to uh, survey the Quiz Bowl community on, shout out to the uh, Quiz Bowl forums. Uh, I asked a number of uh, really fantastic players across middle school and high school. Uh, what were some of the topics or some of the figures or some of the events and some of the people that uh, they felt were solidly part of the middle school canon? Uh, and what I want to do is connect that to something that we have as a recurring segment on this podcast, which is the buzz phrase. Uh, and now a peek behind the curtain. Ken always makes the buzz phrases. And I think there's a reason for that which is that Ken is a better quiz bowl player than me. <laughs> if there was any doubt at all in anyone's minds, uh, and the only reason that doubt would be there is because that person has probably never seen Ken and I play quiz bowl. Uh, if there was any doubt that Ken was a better quiz bowl player than me, here it is in, in writing, in on air. I believe that you genuinely are a much stronger player than I am. And the reason for that uh, is that the number of buzz phrases that uh, comes from just hearing a, a large number of questions in the canon over and over again uh, is really impressive. Uh, and I see this and I, I hear this from Ken all the time. Something will come up that's history related or something will come up that's arts related. And uh, Ken will kind of brush it off like, oh, anyone would know that. Uh, but as someone who is relatively new to Quiz Bowl uh, in the grand scheme of things, I can attest to the fact I did not know that. And I do not know many of those things. And I feel like a lot of players who are relatively new to quiz bowl, probably in sixth or seventh grade would have the same exact experience of going like, well, how does just anybody know that? So Ken, would you uh, first tell us a little bit about when you think about buzz phrases, uh, how do you think a player gets to learn those? How do you think a player gets to start absorbing that information? Well, uh, certainly you said, you know, through practice and, um, there are a number of resources that are available online. And I think the best one would be QuizDB, uh, QuizDB.org, which is something that I, I certainly use when I write my buzz phrase segment. And when I do uh, my history lectures, I use that too to kind of see what are the most important recurring clues that come up when we're talking about. So right now I'm working on a lecture on the, the Mali empire. And so that's Mansa Musa and, um, uh, Sandiata, uh, uh, Kaita. Um, and so it, like what kinds of phrases? So if the answer is going to be Mansa Musa, what are some of the buzz phrases? And certainly they'll talk about the Hajj that he went on where he just spent so much gold that he basically devalued gold. Um, and so, you know, I'll type in as an answer line, Mansa Musa, and I want to see which clues come up over and over and over and over again. And, um, you know, when it comes to like, obviously the Hajj comes up, but like just for the Mali, like things that I didn't know, things like there was a, a an explorer named, um, Ibn Battuta and I, I had never heard of him before. So like, but, but I recognized the fact that he would come up over and over and over again. So then I'd go and look up, okay, who is this guy? What did he do? Um, and you know, we, we've talked in this podcast before about connecting dots. And so our best players not only are able to connect dots, they just have a lot more dots. So the more questions they hear, the more they read, 
the more they're exposed to, the more dots they have. And so while newer players might not know who Mansa Musa is, the more experienced players do, and then they start to have the dots associated with it. And they understand, okay, well, the Mali is located in Western Africa and the Hajj would take it across, um, you know, the, the, the length of Africa and, um, and he was distributing gold while he was doing that and stuff like that. I can say that most buzz phrases that I end up getting are from books that I've read relatively recently or books that I know very well. Uh, like I just read a book about, um, uh, the Carlisle Indian football, uh, team, and Jim Thorpe, who probably is one of the greatest athletes to ever live. Um, and I feel like if there were a question that were to come up about that, I would probably power it uh, relatively well because I've read an entire, you know, 200 something page book. And at that point, some of the information starts to settle in my mind. Uh, but what I wanted to do, you know, uh, maybe I'm preemptively praising Ken too much. And, and, and let me uh, just gonna... let me say, Andrew, before you get yeah. into this, though, like it's. <sighs> I know you recognize that I might be better at this game than you are. And like, and that's okay. You know, I, I can recognize that I've met coaches that are better at this game than I am. But if you're a coach or a parent of, you know, who's basically, you know, charged with running the team, you don't have to be good at this. You don't have to be on the level of some of your players. I, I'm I'm telling you, all they really need is someone who shows up. That's what they need. They want if you say practice is going to be on Thursdays at three o'clock, be there Thursdays at three o'clock. Read them questions. You know, th- that's it. You don't have to be better than them. You don't have to know more than they do. I'll, Andrew, you and I both know we don't know more than some of our players on our A team. Absolutely, that happens that is year a, after year after year. Yep. It's a natural progression somewhere around the end of seventh grade. They start to be better than us, and, which is a, a sign of a job well done. And so, you know, like your strength as a coach isn't that you know more than they do and you can you must impart your knowledge onto them. Your strength as a coach is that you're there every week when you say you're going to be there and you're encouraging, you're, you're coming up with new ways for them to think about things and and practice and that's what they need. And that is what I want to say a hundred percent of the players, not, not just not 99%, a hundred percent of the players need an adult who is going to do that for them. Absolutely. And the addition of another adult, like a parent reading them questions over dinner or over lunch or in the commute to on the way to school uh, is only even more effective. Something that we've seen, uh, kind of classically uh, allows players to get much stronger. Uh, as I was about to say, though, <laughs> before I was so politely interrupted, <laughs> uh, uh, I, you know, I said all those nice things about you, and now I'm going to pepper you with questions uh, that I hope will be kind of a fun experience. And one of the things I would really love is if you'd be able to walk us through some of the the dots and the the webs and the connecting that you're doing as you're thinking about these questions. It's funny. We have um, an issue on our team with postmortems. Maybe those in the community mm-hmm. know what we're talking about. You know, it's after you read a question and someone gives an answer, they will then, the player will then go on this, you know, 
this long journey. My grandmother is from this country. Yes, I she told me the story right. of this and, once and, upon a time. And it's with newer players. I feel like that should be encouraged. We want people to hear like, hey, yeah. how did you know that? That's interesting. You read that somewhere. Mm-hmm. You've been here. That's great. Like, that's how we get better. But mm-hmm. but when you get to the professionals, when you get to like your your A team and, and you're, you're practicing for big tournament, nobody cares. <laughs> Just get to the <laughs> next question. You know, when you're practicing baseball with with young kids and a kid like wails on a ball and hits it like, hey, wow, that was great. Wow. Look. But once you get to varsity level, like, yeah, you're supposed to hit the ball. Okay, next pitch. Let's go. You know? Yeah. So we actually instituted yeah. something today in practice where if anybody gave a postmortem, their team got neg five. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I had to do it once. I was like, oh, oh that's postmortem, neg five. And then anyone started, I was like, mm. And they they're like, okay, okay, I will stop. <laughs> All right. Well, we're gonna we're gonna do some uh some modeling, some bad modeling right. then. Fire away. Uh, and so uh, I have a, a whole bunch of uh, different categories. Uh, I'll do you the, the honor of being able to choose the category. I've got uh, science, literature, uh, history, uh, history and like historical figures, uh, location, so geography, art, and then historical events. And these are all, uh, all right. some that are it, just compiled. Is it by the your intention community. to give me all of them? Uh, pretty much over time. And you know what? Yeah. Just start at the top, man. Let's go. Just start at yeah, the top. Yeah, yeah. Let, All right. Let's go. Okay. Uh, so I've listed these in the order of the frequency that they came up. Okay. So uh, if something came up very, very commonly, then it uh, it was something that multiple players mentioned were important. Multiple players said were solidly part of the canon. So I'll start you off with uh with this one. Uh, this was uh. So I'll just read the question. And uh, you want me to say buzz? Hunt? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, just say buzz. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah. A hunt in this work is reenacted by Maurice and Roger, who had skewered his quarry from behind. In this novel, Simon is killed while telling oh, okay. his companions uh, about his death. That's, um, that's Lord of the okay. Flies, right? Yes. Okay. So. Yeah. So Simon is like, was, si- Simon is a, 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 a definitely the buzz phrase there. And the fact that they're talking about a hunt. Um, you know, mm-hmm. made me think that there was like, you know, something primal or something like that. And so, and, and once you mentioned Simon, all right, that made me think Lord mm-hmm. of the Flies, and then that jived with the other clue that that there was a hunt. Mm-hmm. A book that yeah, I've I read, got... actually, one of okay, <laughs> one of the very few. rare. But uh, this was our number one book. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was mentioned by all the people yeah. who said this is very solidly in the middle school canon. Is that Golding, William um, Golding. Yep, William Golding. Characters are seen destroying a sandcastle. Right. A pig on a head appears to Simon. Yeah. Uh, uh, the characters in the novel are either biggins or little ones. Uh, um, piggy, the glasses, shattered, the shattered conch shell, yeah, the conch. Right. Yes. Right. Right. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I just love at the end so, how, like, uh, when they're found, they all have like runny noses. They're all just kids again. You know, like they they thought like there were these these <laughs> big, you know, important, uh, you know masculine characters and then when the adults come they're just like they're standing there with runny noses like yep they're just kids yeah. all right well uh let's take a look at our next one uh this one let's see a work often paired with this one mentions the title figures clothing of delight and tender voice after asking does thou know who made thee oh okay that's this is the the tiger right? yes it is yeah. tell us a little bit about the the 
Okay, so the, so what's the conversation on the tiger? So the, the there's every packet has a question about William Blake and the tiger. So does that <laughs> it feels does like that it, know who yeah. made the like also make the lamb? Like you know, just just trying to contrast yeah. the 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 line the the tiger and the lamb. Um, I heard uh, one of our colleagues who is quite fluent in this talk about how it was a metaphor for the industrial revolution. Um, mm-hmm. Abby Shiner said that who's a teacher at our school. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I highly recommend every middle school player read the tiger because it comes up all the mm-hmm. time and they, they pick out lines from it. So, um, yeah, fearful symmetry, absolutely. immortal eye, yep. what the hammer, what the chain <clears throat> they, they do. They basically pull a full like Gettysburg address on it where, any line from the tiger is fair game. Absolutely. Uh, and so as a, I would say as a poem, anytime you hear this poem, uh, one of my first guesses, just raw, like the way I, if there was said this painter, I would immediately be like, Oh, Van, Van Gogh, Picasso. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my raw guesses is the tiger. Yeah. And then maybe look for reasons why the it's middle not, school level. you know, like so think it's a tiger yeah. and then, and then talk yourself out of it. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. Our next one is, uh, let's see. I'm going to totally edit this so that I interrupt you on like, the sure. Second word. Yeah. That's totally <laughs> Even fun. the ones that get wrong, I'm going to edit this back and be like, yeah, yep. The second word, I got it right. <laughs> Go right. ahead. Go no ahead. worries. Uh, let's see. In this work, Symes and Parsons take part in the two minutes hate during which the protagonist meets his lover, Julia. Oh, that's all I get. Uh, let's see. Oh. Near the end of this work, O'Brien tortures oh, okay. the stop, protagonist stop. Uh, with... 1984. Yeah. Yes, it um, is 1984. Yeah, o- O'Brien was the phrase there. I feel like most lit players would probably know the the two minutes of hate. Is that what it's called? And mm-hmm. uh, and Julia is a love interest in Room 101 and all that stuff. Uh, Winston yeah. Smith. Yeah. Big Brother. Right. Oh, yeah. As soon as of you course. say that, the game's out. Of up. course. The, the Ministry of Truth. Yeah. Is that... Uh, is that yeah. 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 Double plus yeah. on good. We've always been we've always been at war with you know East Asia and Eurasia and Oceania. Yeah, I I, I need to read that book again. It uh it definitely is one that uh the if you know the characters' names, I think Julia comes up more as a power clue than it should. Um, That's fair. And I wonder if uh, I wonder if just knowing the characters' names is is as much of an advantage as I think. It yeah, is. sure. Uh, our next one. Look at you getting all these books that you haven't read. Hey, no, I read that. I read that. <laughs> I mean, in 10th right. grade, uh, so we're, you know, we're going okay, back 25 years, but I read that. Uh, all right. Its main character says he missed a funeral because he broke garage windows with his bare hands. The title of this work comes from a Robert Burns poem, which makes its main character wish he could prevent oh, okay. children from falling off a cliff. Oh, gosh, no. Um... Oh, the catcher in the rye. Yes, yeah. it is. So I was originally going to say um, uh, of mice and men, but mm-hmm. yeah, once you said like like catch him off a cliff, like a holding Caulfield mm-hmm. says, like he wants to be like a body catch a body coming through the rye, and it turns out like he mm-hmm. got the the line of the poetry wrong. So, mm-hmm. um, so his like whole life was based on this one line of poetry that turns out to be wrong, but. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, and anytime they talk about uh, Pensy Prep or yeah. phonies yeah, or anything yeah, yeah. like that, it's his sister Phoebe, um, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, another interesting thing about that is like 
the uh, Mark David Chapman, the guy who shot John Lennon, was obsessed with that book, mm. and I feel like like mm. that that clue comes up too. Mm. All right, absolutely, yeah. Uh, sleep tight, you morons. Uh, Catching the Rye, Next. J.D. Salinger. If you if you were wondering, J.D. Salinger. Yes, the reclusive, the ever reclusive J.D. Salinger. Yeah. Uh, one character in this novel asks the protagonist if he's happy. That character is Clarice McClellan. Another character in this book sets herself on fire rather than leave her house. Hmm. Uh, Professor Faber helps lead the main character away from the mechanical hound. Oh, uh, is this mechanical hound? No, I bet our listeners are going crazy now. Uh, the protagonist of this novel kills his boss, Beatty. By setting him on fire. Oh, uh, is this like um no, this isn't Fahrenheit four fifty one, is it? It is Fahrenheit. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, I I, I would have had to guess that at the end I never would have rang in uh, on, on any of that. Mm -hmm. No, that's mm -hmm. uh so um uh this like very uh not very not particularly thoughtful uh firefighter in the dystopian Fahrenheit four fifty one is asked, you know, by his neighbor who kind of is this like very like ethereal, like not necessarily like of this world type character. Um, she seems to be kind of like apart from all of the madness that's happening. She's like, Oh, are you, it is, does your life make you happy? And he's like, yeah, my life makes me happy. And then he's like, wait, does my life make me happy? Mm -hmm. Like just that one question starts to be like the sand in the oyster that, uh, you know, starts to, send things down a diff very different kind of path. I'll be honest. I would have so. needed Guy Montag before I would ring in. Yeah, uh, Guy Montag burning books. Yep. It was a pleasure to burn. Uh, let's see. Yes, the, the temperature. Uh, one thing which... that always comes up. Yeah, the temperature which paper mm -hmm. uh, sets fire. Yep. And uh, one thing that always comes up for me with Ray Bradbury that I always emphasize to our kids is that Ray Bradbury's uh, like central thesis of all of his writing is very clear. It's that he hates television <laughs> and uh, <laughs> he, he just despises it just like like a pure hate. Uh, and uh, there's a great little exchange in Fahrenheit 451 about where, where Guy Montag talks to his wife and uh, she's like, uh, I really want to buy a fourth wall television, like a fourth wall viewing screen. And he's like, how would you even watch it? Like, how do you how would you watch the fourth wall? Like, you have three already. Like, how do you even watch a TV that's behind you? And she's like, oh, but our neighbors have one. We should buy one. <laughs> um, and I think for him, that was like the perfect, like he was, he was probably thinking about what would make him the most angry. Um, so uh, next. And my hope is that some of the people at home can play. Along. Oh yeah, sure. Uh, sure. Yeah. I and think, and uh, get it before me and like, and, and let us know, oh, yeah. let us know like that. You beat me yeah. to every question. Uh, I'd love to hear from yeah. you. Uh, in book one of this work, the word pandemonium is first used to describe Satan's palace. Okay, wait, wait, wait. This is um, Paradise Lost? It is. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it is, it's rare to find a, uh, a book that has the devil as a main character. Right. So right. Yeah. you can't go too wrong with Paradise Lost, you know, uh, uh, Lucifer falling from heaven, you know. Uh, other characters in this poem include chaos and night, as well as sin and death. Uh, better to reign in hell than serve in heaven is a famous quote from, of course, Paradise Lost. Uh, and we've got 
Only two more books okay. here, and then we'll move Good. on to. <laughs> I'm doing okay so far. I've only missed <laughs> one. Our next category. You're doing, okay, doing pretty well. Uh, let's see. Aunt Alexandra chastises the protagonist of this novel for wearing breeches instead of dresses. After sneaking out of the house, the narrator of this novel discusses bartering hickory nuts with the leader of a lynch mob. Nothing yet. Uh, when a first grader pours an excessive amount of molasses on his dinner while at the central family's house, the narrator of this novel mocks him. Carved soap figurines, old coins, and a pocket watch are among items found in a tree hole by the central characters. Nope, I got nothing. Okay. Uh, who later find those objects to be gifts for Boo. Oh. Gifts of oh, Boo. Oh, okay. Oh, it's to kill a mockingbird. Um, yes, it is. Yeah, I can't tell you how many times I was uh, assigned to read To Kill a Mockingbird in school. I think 8th, ninth, yeah. and 10th grade, I was assigned to read To Kill a Mockingbird, mm -hmm. and I never got past uh, the cover. So I can tell you who wrote it. Mm -hmm. Well, <laughs> I can tell you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, the interesting thing is that uh, if you had spent a little more time looking at the cover, you would have noticed that uh, in the tree hole mm -hmm. on the cover are carved soap figurines, old coins, and a pocket watch. So... Uh, you know, maybe we were staring at the back cover. Uh, probably. It was <laughs> it was lavender. I think I remember that. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's that kind of lavender. Uh, and there's just one more book. Okay. So uh, thank you for your... You're doing pretty well so far. All right. Uh, a character in this novel disguises himself as... Uh, let's see. Um, disguises himself as a woman named Mother Bunches and tells his future wife her fortune. Uh, let's see. This novel's protagonist visits a grave near Brocklebridge Church 15 years after her friend dies at Lowood School. This novel's protagonist is locked up as a child by Sarah Reed and comforts her future husband after Grace Poole's charge. Bertha Mason burns down Thornfield Hall. I don't know. Is this like Jane Eyre or something? I don't know. It is Jane okay. Eyre. <laughs> it is Jane Eyre. All right. That's, yeah. That was a, a complete shot in the dark. Yeah, well, Charlotte Bronte wrote Jane Eyre. Okay. Uh, it was not, in fact, Kerr Bell, as it was written when it was published. Uh, but that's the story of Edward Rochester falling in love with his governess, uh, who, you know, uh, no one knows her name, but the book is called Jane Eyre. So uh, let's see. I think uh, that is one. What was who the place I, that, I that burned down? Uh, Thornfield. Okay, Hall. I think that was the clue that that kind of led me towards. I, I was something British, and I mm -hmm. think I went with Jane Eyre mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. Let's see. All right, so did pretty well in the literary all stuff. Right. This, this, so uh, when I asked about uh, all the literary stuff, uh, the only other book that was mentioned was Frankenstein, um, and they said some something that a lot of MS players haven't read but kind of know a bit about. Um, and it's used as a lot of a uh, springboard for talking about the Shelleys, like Percy Shelley mm -hmm. and uh, Lord Byron, because uh, he was there at that initial uh, kind of scary story contest mm -hmm. that led to the book being written. Uh, and so our next one will be uh, Famous People. Okay. All right. And in How many your... questions <laughs> did you ask, by the there. way? Uh, I wrote, I asked for that. That was eight. eight. Okay. So six out of eight. Yeah. All right. All right, uh, let, I'm, Six I'm sure there are okay. some players out there that went eight for eight and think I'm a moron, mm -hmm. so go, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure there are players out there who, uh, you know, 
didn't know some of those Hopefully books. Hopefully you learned something. It's absolutely fine yeah. that you didn't know those books because uh, uh, not, not everybody has read everything, and that's totally fine. Uh, okay. Uh, let's see. This man sits between liberty and victory in a fresco by Constantino Bramidi on the inside of the U.S. Capitol Rotunda. The iconic portrait of this man was painted by okay, Gilbert it's, Stewart. It's Washington. All right. I, I, yes. I, I, I would have. I really should have buzzed him when, when you said iconic portrait. Um, yeah. So Gilbert mm -hmm. Stewart painted um, painted uh, Washington as, as well as Emanuel Loitza. What was another famous mm -hmm. painting of, of Washington? Yep. Emanuel Loitza was uh, crossing the Delaware. Portrait appears on the one dollar bill. Uh, warned against frightful despotism and engaging in entangling alliances. Gilbert, it's interesting that uh, Gilbert Stewart is the <laughs> buzz phrase that made you realize it was Washington. But mm -hmm. I think with some of these more well-known people, uh, something that I see very commonly is that uh, because 95% of people can get the question by the end of the question, uh, with the more well-known uh, answer lines, you actually give yourself a much better advantage when you remember some of the power phrases or the buzz phrases. Yeah, because everybody's going to be racing to get the first president of the United States. Right. Um, but if you can yeah. get it at Gilbert Stewart, then yeah, he was you're... someone who painted the the portrait that appears on the one dollar bill. Mm -hmm. hmm. uh, let's see. So our next one. Maybe I shouldn't go in order, but I will. <laughs> yeah, no, you don't. Well, <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, this politician objected to the Mexican War by giving his spot resolutions. Okay, stop. That's um, that's Lincoln. Yes, it is. Yeah. So tell us. Uh, about oh, spot I mean, I just know that. Well, this, I don't know exactly what the spot resolutions were, mm -hmm. but uh, yeah. but that is that is definitely a buzz phrase for Abraham Lincoln. Mm -hmm. um, and okay. he was not a president at the time, uh, of course. Mm -hmm. uh, the Mexican American War was was fought years before he was president. So he was still in the, in, in Congress at that point. Mm -hmm. uh, let's see. A uh, poem about this politician mentions a drooping star in the West. Uh, oh, captain, my captain, of course. Oh, okay. Are you reading this? <laughs> You're still reading the question about uh, Lincoln. No, like, okay, this is, oh, this is Lincoln, Lincoln again. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, it still is. Um, uh, yeah, I think spot resolutions, uh, house divided, uh, the Gettysburg Address is something that I don't know if it necessarily is something that the students all memorize uh, by the end of middle school, but I know it's something that a lot of schools have students memorize. Uh, ironically, more international schools have their students memorize the Gettysburg Address. Uh, so similar to the Tiger, I feel every line in the Gettysburg Address is fair game. Um, you know, saying something like this hallowed ground is probably going to be a buzzer race to, you know, either yeah. the Gettysburg Address or Abraham Lincoln. Right. So, uh, you know, if and if there's a question about the Gettysburg Address, uh, you know, Lincoln was not the keynote speaker at the Gettysburg Address. Right. The, the keynote yes. speaker was was Edward Everett. And Lincoln gets up there, speaks for two minutes and says exactly what Everett uh, Edward Everett says in two hours in, and that just yeah. that just like like think what you want to think about abraham lincoln he was a a brilliant man and a wonderful orator and that's what made him great he could say in two minutes what it took somebody else two hours to say mm -hmm. uh would have had a very short podcast 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. Our next one is um, uh, this man founded the University of Virginia. Stop and designed. Uh, no, 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 that's that's Jefferson. Yes. Yeah, that's uh, that's easy. <laughs> it's, that's easy. famous virginian <clears throat> yeah. yeah um yeah and he was you also like he was a designer he he designed um uh his home at, at monticello and um what was the yeah. expedition that he oh the, the lewis and clark yeah yeah because he he um as as libertarian as he was um mm -hmm. you know leading up to being president he mm -hmm doubled the size of the country yeah the uh, <laughs> i i was reading a book recently that said that uh one of the biggest crises of thomas jefferson's life honestly was that he believed in these what we call jeffersonian ideals of small government and nowhere in the constitution is the right to expand the size of the united states given to the president nowhere in the constitution is that ability or that power granted to the president uh and while everybody else was like, oh, this is a slam dunk, Tom, just buy the damn thing. Uh, it basically this book went into detail about how he kind of had like this dark night of the soul where he was like, is this betraying my own morals like to do this? Like, I know everybody wants me to do this. and I know this is good for the country. But like, is this against what I personally believe? Like, and he had to sort all that out because, yeah, it's kind I, of like, uh, yeah. Yeah, if you go to his grave, it lists all of the things that he's proud of, and President of the United States is not one of them. It doesn't say mm. that he was President of the United States on his grave. It mentions um, Governor of Virginia. Uh, it mentions, I believe it mentions Secretary of State, but doesn't mention that he was President of the United States. And uh, I'm sure as some being someone who was, was as small government-minded as he was, like mm. I'm sure it did weigh heavily on him. Mm -hmm. That is my, so my un- uh, uneducated opinion on the matter <laughs> yeah uh all right next moving away from american history here let's see uh this man's mother was placed in a painting depicting this man despite not attending the event it depicts uh, this man was depicted touching the bare chest of a soldier in a painting by Antoine Jean Gross that shows him visiting the plague victims of Jaffa. Uh, this leader's name, along with Hannibal and Charlemagne, are carved onto two rocks in the bottom left of an equestrian portrait of this man. Wow, uh, I'm not sure. This man came to power through the coup of 18 Brumaire. Is this Napoleon? It is Napoleon. Wow, that's I guess because you mentioned something French, but no, I didn't. Uh, I didn't know any of that stuff. Yeah. Uh, so one of the things that for me, I always remember uh, on the cover of War and Peace is that this very distinctive uh, painting of Napoleon on horseback. Um, but uh, yeah, th a few of those were pretty obscure. Mm. Um, uh, I think defeating the Prussians. Combining the Russian and Austrian forces at Austerlitz. Yeah, Austerlitz uh, is definitely a buzz phrase. Uh, invading Russia during the winter, which is a mistake that many people make many never times. Fight never fight a land works. war in, <laughs> Never yeah. find a land war in Russia. Yeah. Um, exiled to St. Helena. We're getting out of buzzer, uh, out of yeah, uh, yeah. buzz phrase territory. But uh, interesting guy. Also was one of the owners of the Mona Lisa. He I just figure if you're, em if you're, yeah, if you're the em emperor yeah. of France, you probably own everything in France. So yeah, well, he he like had it in like his house 
in like his bedroom. <laughs> just in and his that was bathroom. one of the things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was one of the things that like raised the profile of the Mona Lisa. It was like, hmm. oh, Napoleon like looked at this painting every day. Hmm. So, and they're like, it's got to be good. Then you know, he could have had any painting. Uh, they say that his um, his translation of the Art of War, supposedly by Sun Tzu, was like full of footnotes, like chalk to the brim. Um, uh, our next person, I was about to just say the name, but that would have been made it too easy. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, this man's chief minister, Thomas Cromwell, dissolved the monasteries, even though this man had written defense of the seven sacraments, an anti-Lutheran pamphlet that earned him the title defender of the faith. Uh, let's see. Is this, is this, um, Henry the eighth? It is Henry the eighth. Okay. Uh, I hadn't even got to the divorce stuff yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Um, so tell me what you know about Henry VIII. Uh, not much, other than like the fact that he was married uh, six times. Is that right? Uh, let's see. He had, he had six wives? Uh, yep, six wives. Yeah, and I know there's like some sort of mnemonic to remember who they were and, and how he got rid of them. Tell us uh, in the comments below. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, I, I'll, I'll admit I was just kind of guessing at that point, and I feel like mm -hmm. good history players will know um, mm -hmm. when she mentioned Oliver Cromwell in, in the mm -hmm. beginning. Mm -hmm. So Thomas Cromwell know. dissolving the monastery. Thomas Cromwell, not, yeah, yeah. not Oliver Cromwell, Thomas Cromwell. Uh, uh, I know leaving the Catholic Church uh, so that he could divorce Catherine of Aragon and marry Anne Boleyn, big power move there. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think it also explains why maybe he dissolved the monasteries because then he could have all that land like a lot of the monasteries that the catholic church uh owned at the time were some of the like most valuable land in all of europe so if he could leave the catholic church and dissolve the monasteries it might explain hmm. uh, why he did that he's like great now there's no monasteries now there's all this land that i own uh all right this next one Bring me another wife. <laughs> I always, uh, I always kind of laugh at uh, the. Okay, I'm going to start my own church, and I'm going to get my own bishop to give me a divorce. Uh, let's see. That was the Church of England. If you, if you're mm -hmm. wondering, yeah, the Church of England. Mm -hmm. uh, this man allied with Taxiles to defeat the Pavrava Kingdom at the Battle of the Hydraspes River. Uh, this man's sudden death led to a civil war between his generals and successors, the Diadochi. Oh, that's Alexander the Great. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So uh, when when Alexander the Great died, he didn't leave an heir. And mm -hmm. so Alex, Alexander the Great was like 24 and took over the entire world. Um, there had never been a, a military mind like him uh, up until that point, And there might not have been one since there there were some good ones um you know napoleon was really good uh the timor the lame was was really good genghis khan was really mm -hmm. good but alexander the great was just amazing and again he's 24 and he takes over the world in like it feels like a week and um didn't really have a plan for running anything mm -hmm. and didn't set up any sort of like empire that would have succession so when he's on his deathbed he brings his four closest generals 
And instead of picking a successor, he goes to the strongest and then he dies. <laughs> and so then the, they're called the, the Diadochi and they just start fighting each other. And um, the empire, quote unquote, that he built basically falls apart immediately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, I always remember um, he was so charismatic uh, that uh, there was a time where like his soldiers weren't fighting the way that he wanted them to. And so he went into his tent to sulk and like the soldiers basically like knocked on the tent and were like, we're sorry, <laughs> we'll fight, <laughs> we'll be better. And he was like, that's I accept your apology. Let's go fight. Um, but he was just like worshipped, basically. Um, uh, I also remember that he named uh, so many towns after his horse, Bicephalus. Um, this like black stallion that he had. Um, and it, it feels like it's like, oh, there's another Alexandria. There's another Alexandria. Oh, there's another one named after his horse. Like that's like the fourth one. Uh, so his naming conventions weren't the greatest. Um, he, he kind of, uh, you could see his priorities. Name things after myself. Name things after my horse. Um, I also remember uh, uh, this town resisting resisting him, and it was a, basically an island. And they were like, you know, oh, what are you going to do to us? Tire, yeah, yeah. And so uh, first he built a whole bunch of boats trying to cross over to there, and then they uh, he, he was trying to build a wooden bridge. So they set some boats on fire and crashed them into the bridge. So he was really mad after that. Uh, so then he had his soldiers just stack stones <laughs> to get all the way across to get to the town. Uh, and then he like slaughtered the town like to a man and was basically like, that's what happens if you're going to be a jerk to me and not just surrender. Yep. Um, and I think to this day, that island is a peninsula. Yeah. That, he that had causeway, all his thousands yeah. of he had his thousands of soldiers just stack rocks. Yep. Uh, next. Only two more in the history category. Uh, Zola Curry nearly killed this man during a book signing in 1958. This man led a march across the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma, Alabama. Uh, uh, I mean, is it just Martin Luther King? Is that is that it? Uh, prompt. Junior? Yes, it is Dr. <laughs> Martin Luther King Jr. Okay. Uh, so yeah, the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma, Alabama um the just the town of selma alabama is a buzz sure. phrase in and of sure. itself i was about to say the southern christian leadership conference um and uh zola curry was uh someone who made an attempt on his life who was a, a woman that was uh mentally ill um and uh unfortunately not the first attempt on his not the last attempt on his life obviously right. Um, F- funny story. So, so James Earl Ray is the person mm-hmm. that kills Martin Luther King mm-hmm. and uh, a friend of mine <clears throat> was at a game in Pittsburgh and they flash on the, on the screen, like sad news, James Earl Jones dies. And, you know, they go through like how he was the voice of Darth Vader and, and everything. And it turns out that it was James Earl Ray who died and like so so everyone was sad and then we find out like oh wait they made a mistake like our, our mistake was actually james Earl ray everyone's like everyone's like oh, oh okay. he's, a, he's a jerk yeah we yeah. don't care <laughs> <laughs> that is a i was i was worried when you said oh i have a funny story about james Earl ray right i was worried i didn't know what direction it was going to go but i i agree with you that is a funny story um 
yeah, uh, Montgomery bus boycott, also another buzz phrase. Uh, letter from I Birmingham mean, Jail. Selma is the real is the real clue mm-hmm. right there. Yeah. yeah, I'm reading a book of his speeches right now. So I'll uh, <laughs> when I finish the 400 page book on all of his speeches, uh, then I'm sure I'll have some power clues for you. You know, then. he's he is probably like on the if not the Mount Rushmore, then that one of like top 10 most interesting Americans ever. So the quiz bowl players really should read as much as you can about him. He was a really interesting person. Um, and so the, the more, the more dots you can, you can make, uh, the, the better off you'll be. Absolutely. And you spoke about a lot of things that, uh, are now, even now still relevant when it comes to, uh, things like workers rights and stuff like that. Like it's really interesting to hear similar things echoing now. Um, you know, it's it's unfortunate to hear similar things echoing now about the mistreatment of people of all kinds. Um, but the stuff absolutely holds up 100 percent. And if you've never heard the audio of his I Have a Dream speech, absolutely give that a listen. It's um, it is one of the greatest speeches ever delivered. Uh, we've got just one more for person. This man lamented the lights are going out in a 1938 speech. In 1940, he said, we shall go on to the end. We shall fight on the beaches. Oh, that's the Churchill. Yes. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, he's um, right. That whole speech about, like, you know, persevering. Evacuation at Dunkirk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Never in the field of human conflict was so much owed by so many to so few but the Royal Air Force. Uh, let's see. Uh see yeah that's yeah winston churchill absolutely someone you should know and uh you know i think a lot of these people are very difficult to remove from the historical context that they're in so i think uh, as you are kind of studying eras like you're like oh i want to read more about world war one I. I want to read more about world war ii as you're doing that you can kind of pick up these people as like free draft picks like you're like ah oh, you know i read that book about world war ii i might as well pick up some of these historical figures while i'm there Right. Uh, and kind of place them in context. All right. We've got uh, some geography here. Ugh. Test your geography. Okay. <clears throat> All right. Hmm. Not really a strong suit of mine. So we'll see how I do. All right. Uh, this country lies southeast of Mayotte, a French departement that is claimed by Comoros. While it itself was under French control, this country became known as the Malagasy Republic. Is it Madagascar? It is Madagascar. Okay. Yeah. You know, there was so much uh, colonialism in Africa for so long. Like everything was Dutch or German or Portuguese um, or French. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, there were a couple of clues there. Can you reread that? that, that yeah, question? absolutely. Uh, this country lies southeast of Mayotte, a French departement that is claimed by Comoros. Uh, while itself was under French control, this country became known as the Malagasy Republic for two yeah, decades I, before its full independence. Right. So I, I, the fourth I guess largest I just, island uh, in the world. Yes, I, I don't quite, quite know which which clue kind of tipped me off that it's, mm-hmm. um, that it was Madagascar. It was kind of a guess, but something that always tips me off is the Mozambique Channel. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, because, absolutely. Uh, I don't, you know, I just hear that and I'm like, oh, that's the one right by Madagascar. Oh, that's probably the answer. Right. Um. Okay. So. Uh, and you know, there's lemurs, there's all kind of unusual animals. 
So sometimes those are also they're like talking zebras or or hippos or something. Or is that I, uh, is that I've a never Pixar heard of that. Thing? No, <laughs> might be a Pixar, Pixar thing. thing. Okay, I just know about the II, which is a very strange uh, little monkey kind of thing that uh, is basically a woodpecker, but instead of like pecking the wood, it just uses its very long fingers to do the hmm. same thing. Uh, it's supposed to be bad luck. So uh, Madagascar has so many unique animals that. If they show up, they'll be power clues um, because, you know, or, or if they show up, there couldn't be anywhere else that they'll be. Uh, let's see. Uh, the first prime minister of this country gave a speech outlining the five principles of peaceful coexistence that formed a basis for a treaty with China. And he also gave the tryst with destiny speech. Another prime minister was assassinated by her bodyguards in okay, okay, it was Yeah, it's, it's India. And yes, I, I don't know why the tryst with destiny kind of took me away from India, but mm-hmm. um, yeah. So Indira Gandhi was was assassinated by the bodyguards, but um, most good history players will know the tryst with destiny was was Gandhi, and I I should have known that sooner. Mm-hmm. Let's see this one, uh, a caldera in this location formed after a series of eruptions at Mesa Falls and Huckleberry Ridge and contains a supervolcano. Is it Yellowstone? This is Yellowstone. Yeah, is the supervolcano underground? Yes, I believe it is. Yeah. That is that is going to destroy the earth one day. Yeah, that's what I've heard <laughs> hopefully, from my hopefully YouTube sources. Right. Hopefully it's after the Mets win the World Series and the Jets yeah. win the Super Bowl. So at mm-hmm. least, you know, give, give me a couple more decades. Yeah. And of course, uh, it contains a geyser known for a very predictable eruption pattern, uh, right. Old Faithful. Right. Uh, let's see. So, like, you know, can you start the question again? And I'll just, like, because yeah. I know you asked, like, hey, walk, yeah. walk me through what I'm Absolutely. thinking and stuff. So. Uh, a caldera in this location. All right. So, a caldera, you know, I'm, I am definitely thinking volcanoes at this point because a caldera, mm-hmm. you know, okay, go ahead. Formed after a series of eruptions at Mesa Falls and Huckleberry Ridge. Okay, those are very American sounding. Right? Sure. Ma- Mesa Falls, yeah. I know, is is um, Mesa. It, it has you know Spanish origins, but you know so does a lot of um, places in the Southwest. And then Huckleberry Ridge, like, is there anything more American sounding than Huckleberry Ridge? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Keep going. Uh, and contains a super volcano. Okay. And then, then now I'm thinking like, you know, the super volcano that I know of in America is the one that's mm-hmm. underground in um, Yellowstone National Park. So mm-hmm. that's how I got that. Yeah. And then uh, then I talk about Old Faithful. So mm-hmm. Old Faithful Old Faithful was the thing that pushed it over the edge to be uh, America's first national park. They were like, well, what's so cool about Yellowstone? Like, I, I get it's pretty, <laughs> right. but like, what is there for people to go like look at? And they're like, there is a geyser that goes off every 30 minutes that tourists can come and look at on schedule. And they're like, okay, we'll give it to you. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Uh, <laughs> like, there's a geyser who will do tricks. Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, this river was known in ancient times as the Black River due to the black silt it deposited during floods. Uh, Lake Tana is one source of this river. John Speck discovered the other was Lake Victoria. Okay, is this the Nile? It is the Nile River. I, I, I kind of knew it at, at Lake Tana, um, and mm-hmm. I guess if I were playing uh, a um, 
like a, an individual competition, like a B, I probably would have would have rang in there. In fact, I might have even went in sooner when you said like depositing silt, because mm-hmm. the the Nile was was pretty predictable about its floods, and that's what made the Egyptian culture thrive. That they were able to irrigate their crops, and um, you know, like there there wasn't this massive devastating floods or droughts. Uh, that occurred too often. So the, the Nile was, was pretty predictable. <clears throat> it also splits into two different uh, color named rivers. Do you know? Right. Yeah. The, 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 white, and the, yeah, the yep. white and the blue. Yeah. The white and the blue. Yeah. They just need a red and then they're, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, <laughs> I, I feel uh, this one's tough because the way that it starts tends to give it away. This mountain range. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I'm guessing the Andes. Is it? Yeah, the it is the Andes. It's yeah. always the Andes. <laughs> uh, so that's exactly the kind of stuff that I hope that players take away from this, which is there's only so many mountain ranges, and I mean, like there, there obviously are a lot, but but I would think like if I'm if I'm a player and mm-hmm. I hear this mountain range, my, the first thought comes in just based on the sheer volume of questions that I've heard. Mm-hmm. The Andes comes up the most. So I'm going to think Andes start reading the question and I'll tell you exactly when I'll buzz. So go ahead. So sure. Uh, This mountain range is home to the threatened spectacle bear. Spectacle bear and large silver mines were found near this. Okay. Stop. So, so like, um, you know, silver is like if you Argentina, like the Latin word for silver, South American Mm. countries have, uh, yeah, the Latin metals like AG is, is comes from the Latin word for silver, which names Argentina. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's where I would have said, okay, this, this is the Andes. Yeah. <clears throat> that's very cool. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Uh, also often talks about the subduction of the Nazca plate. No. Okay. We're definitely in South America at that yeah. point. If you know about the Nazca lines, which are the, the huge drawings in Peru in the desert sand, uh, that are protected. Uh, the Nazca plate is just the plate that, uh, uh, the mountain range sits under and like has pushed up the mountain range. Uh, let's see. Also often talks about uh, Tierra del Fuego um, and uh, Mount Aconcagua, which is right. the highest peak in the Western hemisphere. Yep. All right. But that's the kind of thing where uh, I genuinely feel like they ask this mountain range. Someone buzzes in, goes to the Andes, and they power it. And then the other team goes, "How could they have known?" Come on. Well, come on. If they ask a mountain range, cheese. That's yeah. cheese right there. Yeah. Uh, this one. This country's highest point is in uh, Skaftafell National Park. Bodies of water in this nation include the Sog River and Lake Thorisvatn. Uh, a volcanic explosion in the 1960s created this nation's island of Surtsey and is home to the oldest parliament in the world, the Alting. This nation also sees eruptions from Ayafjaya Jokel. Okay, so <laughs> now we're in Iceland, right? <laughs> yes, we're in Iceland. <laughs> yeah, I, w- I was thinking Iceland in, in the beginning because a lot of these names sounded icelandic skaftafell national park if there's some f's in there you're yeah. definitely dealing with iceland but but yeah the last one that you mentioned the last uh vol- volcano that you mentioned that was the Aya one that are, Yokel. right that was the one that erupted 2010 not too long ago yeah and it stranded some of our 
kids and teachers that were away on uh, over spring break. They were on like a, a field trip and there was so much <clears throat> ash in the air that they weren't allowed, allowing planes to fly over the Atlantic. So so they were mm. stuck in Europe for an extra week, which mm. doesn't sound too bad if you're a kid. Mm-hmm. But if you're a teacher, and you're stuck <laughs> with these kids. You can't get home to your family. Like, what mm. do you do with them? You know, yeah. like you will see more museums, I guess. I, I suppose. But you have to pay for stuff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and name this northernmost European nation capital at Reykjavik. Uh, and okay, here's yeah, a I haven't ball. missed any of these. I'm doing better. Yeah, here's with a curveball. Literature. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Oh well, it's not so much of a curveball when they say it right in the question. I was hoping for. Um, okay. The Hellas Plantea Impact Basin can be found on this astronomical body, which contains the largest canyon in the solar system, Valley Marineris. It was once thought that there were canals on this planet. Are, are we talking about Mars? Yes. Yeah. So, do we transition from geography to? No, science? this is. I this just is asked still... about. I just asked them about places, and they okay. were like, "Well, you gotta, you gotta say Mars." In there. Okay. All right. I was like, "Okay, interesting. Yeah, Mars yeah. is a place, I guess." They're yeah. like, "You gotta." They always, there's always a question about Mars. Um, the canals is something that's very common. Um, uh, but they're actually optical illusions. Iron oxide is why it's red. Phobos and Deimos, uh, I think, is, uh, you know, fear and panic. Uh, those are, those are um, Mars's or Aries's kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, let's see. Home of Olympus Mons. Tallest see. mountain in the solar system. Yeah. Let's see. But the fact that it starts with this planet or no, okay. you know, this <clears throat> astronomical body kind of negated my curveball a little bit. This location. <clears throat> yeah. All right. Uh, the ballroom of death and the popcorn field are treacherous areas on the path through this mountain's Kumbu icefall. Uh, is it Kilimanjaro? Uh, not yet. No. Oh, okay. Uh, the South Pole is a pass from Latse to this mountain within the death zone over 8,000 meters. Uh, let's see. Uh, this mountain is called Chomolongma by some of the local Sherpa population. Uh, for 10 points, name this mountain on the border between Nepal and China. Okay, so it's uh, Everest Firmly out there. of power yeah. that time. Yeah, Mount Everest. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, once you get to Sherpas, then I would say Mount Everest. Yeah. But um, So what was the name of the pass, the, the Kumbu Pass? Yeah, the uh, uh, the South Col, C-O-L. Okay. Uh, pass from Lhotse to this mountain within the death zone over 8,000 meters. It mm. uh, doesn't sound like a nice place to visit. Um, but I assume that's because of the, uh, lack of oxygen, uh, just being over 8,000 meters is probably a bad time. Um, but I think I'll, I think I'll stay on uh, close yeah. to sea level, I'm, I'm but good. I think there are, uh, I think they're like knowing the ballroom of death and the popcorn field. Uh, I think these are just places that have gotten scary names because obviously Mount Everest does end up causing a number of fatalities every single year. Um, and so they're like, oh, you make a left at the popcorn field and you make a right at the, uh, you know, if you've hit the ballroom of death, you've gone too far. <laughs> uh, you know, like the popcorn field sounded great, but the ballroom yeah, of death. Like, can we go around that? Like those, I think, are like clues that I'll remember next mm-hmm. time. Like next time you and say then, popcorn field, you know, yeah. 
Yeah, I, I can I can see myself on a on a football field eating popcorn, looking up at Mount Everest, and I'm like, yep, mm-hmm. popcorn field, that's Mount Everest. Yeah, and then it, it goes on to say things like Tenzig Norgay and Sir Edmund yeah. Hillary. Tell us, you know, uh, I think this one's easier than the Andes because they tend to uh, just say this mountain. Or mm. all right, uh, next one is vaguely we've got art as a category and then our okay. final category is historical events okay uh so did we skip science uh did we skip science that's a great question i don't recall any science questions oh you know what it was uh yeah i only have a few because uh <laughs> i forgot to put them in the form I was okay. correctly uh, called out by some science players on the forum who were a little angry that I didn't do any <laughs> science questions. Uh, but I still got I still have three science questions. So okay. we'll do those. Right. We'll do those quickly. OK. Uh, all right. Uh, the DNA in this organelle is inherited only from the mother. Uh, the inner membrane of this organelle contains folds known as cristae and encloses okay. its matrix. Wait, wait, wait. That's uh, cristae is. Oh my gosh! Is it the, the mitochondria? It is the mitochondria. Okay, like I was, I was overthinking it. If you've ever drawn a cell, and I think that's something that people do in sixth grade, you know, you draw like like little squiggly lines inside of the mitochondria, and those are the the Christie site of the Krebs cycle. <clears throat> yep. Uh, it also commonly will mention things like Lee's disease or Wilson's disease because those are both diseases that affect the mitochondria and powerhouse of the cell. Yeah, yeah. I've never seen it except for after the 10 points, mm-hmm. unfortunately. But um, uh, phloem is used to carry the products of this reaction and carbon okay, fixation. That's ph- photosynthesis. Yes. Yeah. So what um, is phloem? Right. So phloem is, is tissue. It's vascular tissue inside of plants. Plants basically mm-hmm. have two main tissues. There's xylem and phloem. I was just telling uh, my kid this. He was reading a book uh, this evening about... Um, apples and how they grow and stuff and so like there's there's xylem which goes up right xylem up flow them down so xylem takes water from the ground and brings it up through the stem and into the into the leaves and then phloem takes nutrients and spreads that down through the plant so xylem up flow them down and uh most organisms that perform this process are cyanobacteria but then, of course, there's plants as well. Yeah. Uh, let's see. And of course, name this process that converts carbon dioxide and water to sugar by using light energy. That's your, that's your way out. That's your off ramp. I've got one more science question from okay. the irate science people who are just able to get in. You have to mention that mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. Uh, this one is uh, this man formulated 10 eponymous field equations. And with Sadurenda Bose, he names a phase of matter where every particle is in its lowest quantum state, their condensate. Oh, both. Time dilation, oh. time dilation, and twin paradox are two consequences of a theory created by this man. Oh, uh, then the, it's Einstein. I'm thinking yes, Bose, but it's it the Bose-Einstein condensate. Yeah, yeah the okay. Bose-Einstein. Yeah, condensate. His, his field equations. Like I should. I, I, I should have known it at that Einstein's field. So my, my, one of my goals with choosing these particular answer lines is for hopefully the listeners as well are like, Oh, I should have known that it's just George Washington. Yeah. Uh, I think one of the things that's really intimidating for 
uh, a lot of players is when they don't know the person and they, they don't know any of the clues and they don't know the answer line. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's a really kind of uh, uniquely isolating experience. And I want to just share like, hey, when you start to learn buzz phrases and things like that, uh, a lot of the answer lines are going to be people and places and things that you already know. Uh, if you already know, hey, the Nile River, that's a Nile in Egypt, right? Uh, that's a river in Egypt. Uh, and then if it talks about the white and the blue, you're like, oh, the Nile? Yeah. Floods? The Black You know, river. that's that's a good point. I'd say like in a in a 20 toss-up bonus match, mm -hmm. of the 20, even the most novice player will have heard mm -hmm. of 15 of the answers. Mm -hmm. You know, so if they're looking for an artist, it is way more likely that it's Picasso or Van Gogh than it is Whistler. Absolutely. And, and occasionally there will be a toss up about Whistler because, you know, not every question is written for the lowest common denominator. Mm -hmm. You know, like sometimes we, we do want to separate the the top teams from um, from from the bottom teams or, you know, mm -hmm. from from the middle of the pack. And that's OK. Like, that's good. But I hear what you're saying, Andrew, like most of the answers are obtainable by 90% of quiz bowl players. Yeah. And just learning more about things you already know about. So we've got uh, our last two categories. Okay. We have uh, art. Vaguely, I was vague here on purpose. It's art. All right. And I have uh, another vague one. Historical events. Okay. So uh, we have about a little over 10 left. So uh, I think this will be, if I can make a prediction, I think some of these will be tougher. Okay. Uh, symbols in this painting include a pair of discarded clogs and a chandelier with one lit candle. In the middle of this painting, a feather duster and a beaded chain flank the artist's signature, which is above a circular mirror. A dog sits near this painting's two human figures, one of whom wears a green dress as she holds the hand of her suitor. Uh, a St. Margaret's statue sits atop a bedpost and one candle burns in a chandelier. Oranges sit on a low cabinet behind the central figures and scenes from Jesus's life decorate a convex mirror in the background, which reflects this painting's artist. Uh, and the last thing I have is... The still unidentified woman in this painting was long believed to be a Giovanna Tsunami, and parallel to her gaze is a feather duster in the background. Behind her to the right is a large red bed. A pair of clogs appears in the bottom left corner. Nope, I got nothing. This is the Arnolfini wedding. Okay, now that is that is not something I would say comes up a lot mm -hmm. in uh, in the canon, so mm -hmm. I feel like feel like we, you were uh, led astray by some of these, uh, these okay. people. Um, uh, I'm not saying is, it doesn't come up yeah. at all, but like in comparison yeah. to, mm -hmm. you know, Starry Night <laughs> or The well, Scream. Uh, we'll, or... Get yeah, okay. we'll get to this. Yeah, we'll get to this. Yeah. But no, see. okay. I don't even, I couldn't even tell you who painted the Arnold Feeling Ready, mm -hmm. to tell you the truth. Uh, it is uh, Jan Van Eyck. Oh, Van Eyck. Okay. Yeah. All right. My apologies uh, okay. to uh, Mr. Van Eyck. Mr. Mr. Van Eyck, yeah. yeah. All right. All right. Uh, a drummer on the right of this painting has been partially cut off due to alterations that remove two figures on the left. A shield hanging over an arched gateway in the background bears the name of the 18 people who commissioned this painting. 
A man in red on the left of this painting is shown reloading his rifle in front of an illuminated girl in a yellow dress carrying a chicken. Oh, this is the night watch. Yes, it is the night watch. Yeah, the 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 carrying the chicken like a you know that comes up all the time. Mm-hmm. The one yeah. girl who's very brightly lit. That's why they say she's like illuminated. Hmm. Um, it uh, it it's funny because the painting is called the night watch. And the reason for that is that it was given a very, very dark. Um, uh, I forget the exact term for it. It was given like a dark. Um, basically has like a very dark patina, like a very dark uh, varnish over mm-hmm. the painting. Uh, and after restoration, they realized that it's not actually a painting set at night. Hmm. So they're like, this is awkward. We've been calling it the Night Watch for 200 years because of this dark, heavy varnish that the artist put on the painting. Uh, apparently, that was unintentional. <laughs> apparently, that's just the painting being old. Uh, so, our bad. We're going to keep uh, calling it the Night Watch, though. But so, know, sorry, so let me, let me let me say before you get into to too many more questions here. The mm-hmm. so for for newer players, I think it it is important to just like try to binary match paintings and artists. Yep. And and then once you have like a, a really good database to draw from, mm-hmm. start to then look at these paintings as you're reading questions. So when it, the question mentions the chicken, look for the chicken in the painting and see, you know, see what they're, what they're talking about, you know? Um, so you can really kind of, uh, you know, visualize what, what these, so when they talk, like I've never seen, no, that's not true. I don't, I can't just recall the Arnolfini wedding, mm-hmm. but I'm sure if I could, I could see the clogs. Mm-hmm. When you started mentioning the chicken, I could see the chicken. Like mm-hmm. I, I know where to look on the painting to see the, the chicken. <clears throat> so that that's, that's how I was able to recall. Oh, that's, um, that's the night watch. All right. Uh, let's see a movement with this number in uh, Hector Berlioz's symphony. Fantastique includes a witch's Sabbath. Uh, but what I'm really asking about is fate knocking at the door describes. Oh, okay, that's the Beethoven. Number. Yeah, Be- Beethoven. Yeah, Beethoven's fifth. fifth. Right. That's uh, so. that, that clue comes up way too often um, mm-hmm. about Beethoven's fifth. Uh, and then I also wanted to ask about um, this symphony's composer used text from Frederick Schiller's "Ode to Joy." No, oh, that's yeah, that's Beethoven's uh, ninth. Ode yes. to Joy. So Beethoven's fifth and Beethoven's ninth. Uh, if you have any ability to to decode the kind of things that they love to say about these, these like, for example, this work opens with open fourths and fifths in the strings leading to a tuning inspired entrance of the Fortissimo theme. If you have enough musical background to decipher what that means when it comes to symphony number nine, uh, you will get a clear and distinct advantage over. Yeah. I'd I'd say a lot of the music questions, especially the, the newer ones that I'm seeing, it's not enough to just know who wrote something. Mm-hmm. Although, like again, that's the base. You know, build build yep. up a database of what Beethoven wrote and what Chopin wrote and Mozart and all of that. But in in order to power these, you, you know, you have a better chance of doing that if you can play them, or if you you know understand the music itself and can read the music. And so when you say like an open fourth, yep, I I don't I don't know what that means. I'm not a musician. Supposedly. <clears throat> 
but I'm sure that musicians do and they hear it. And so like, as I'm reading, as I was reading a lot of these music questions, they talk about the, the actual construction of the piece of music. And if I were a musician, I could, I, I would probably be able to connect with that a lot better than, than I can because I'm not a musician. So mm-hmm. that's certainly a, a distinct advantage to people that can read music and write music and, and, and can, can play music for sure. All right, we have uh, two more art questions here. Uh, this works creator had earlier painted the title phenomenon over the Rhone. Blue hills rise in the background of this painting, which was created in an asylum outside the French village. This is yeah, this is Starry Night. Yes. Right? Uh, do you yeah. know what kind of tree it is in the painting's foreground? No, I don't. I did not know this. It's a cypress tree. Okay. Yeah, the 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 blue hills certainly mm-hmm. were the were the clue there. Swirling crescent moon. Uh, let's see. Uh, absolutely, the fact that it's in a sanatorium, um, an asylum—that's that definitely is a very distinct thing, right? Uh, and then this one, the subject of this regionalist painting, where a pink cameo brooch and brown silver glasses. The Art Institute of Chicago houses this painting, whose background includes a red barn on the right and a green shaded window on the left. This is—is is this American Gothic? It is American Gothic. Okay. <laughs> I guess I was yeah. just waiting for the American Gothic question nah. when she started talking about yeah. farmy yeah. type stuff. I was yeah. going to say that. Someone pointed out to me that there is like uh, the shape of the pitchfork is like a motif in that painting. It appears like seven different times mm-hmm. in like in the painting. It appears like on the guy's forehead. It appears like on the top of the house and like all these weird different places around the painting. And it's like a little visual motif that he was like having fun with, like the, the W shape of the pitchfork. Yeah. So that's uh, that's Grant Wood, uh, yep. American Gothic, the artist's uh, sister, sister and, dentist. and dentist. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, so did you? Uh, I think you might have gotten all of them except for the Arnolfini wedding. So right. Right. maybe I was off about that one. I I always remember that one because it was the cover of my high school history textbook, and so for that reason, I'm like, oh, everybody knows the Arnolfini wedding. That's the cover <laughs> of my textbook. Um, all right, and so we only have a few left. So this category is the very, very specific uh, historical event. Tell me a historical event that is in the Quiz Bowl canon. Okay. Uh, at one battle in this war, John of Bohemia fought even though he was blind. A temporary peace during this war was the Treaty of Bretigny. This conflict saw a battle on St. Crispin's Day that was the subject of the speech about ye band of brothers. Uh, Joan of Arc oh, was so captured. Okay. This is the uh, Hundred Years' War. Yes, the Hundred Years' War. Yeah. St. Crispin's Day uh, should have given it away, and it didn't for me. And mm-hmm. I'm sure plenty of history players would have gotten that earlier. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Siege of Orleans. Mm-hmm. Um, Battle of Agincourt. Lots of French-sounding battles. Yeah, Agincourt, Poitiers, Cressy. Mm-hmm. French and English, you know. Yeah, the the French won every major battle in that war, mm-hmm. but ended up losing it because they just it, it eventually became a war of attrition that uh, the French couldn't keep up. Hmm. Uh, I know exactly what is going to be the buzz phrase in this question. Okay, uh, <laughs> looking at this next one, I'm like, I know where I would buzz. Uh, the Cullen Harrison Act weakened this policy, which was effectively begun by the Volstead Act. Oh, uh, this is prohibition. Yes. Yeah. yeah. The Volstead Act was what 
uh, Congress passed in order to enforce prohibition. So mm-hmm. prohibition was the 18th amendment. Um, and of course prohibition means like they, they, you weren't allowed to, uh, sell or consume alcohol. Mm-hmm. And so they, it was constitutional. They put, they put it in the constitution and then they needed a way to enforce it. So mm-hmm. they passed the Volstead act and, uh, that's what allowed the federal government to enforce prohibition. Not that they did so like particularly you know, well. Yeah. Right. I mean, they were the speakeasies, speakeasies and, bootleggers yep uh i remember reading one thing that they sold uh like a brick of like grape concentrate that was like do not leave in a dark keg in a room with this much water and this much whatever <laughs> otherwise th- otherwise that would be illegal do not do that and I had the full instructions on how to you know make it into wine or right. something and so the 18th amendment was eventually repealed by the 21st amendment mm-hmm uh, the exile Hippias advised the losing side of this battle, whose men panicked and ran into swamps. The winning general of this battle, uh, Miltiades, organized troops to defend the only two paths off the beach, then ordered a devastating phalanx assault. This was a loss for Darius the Great. Yeah, was this um, the the Battle of Marathon? It was. Yeah. Yeah, Miltiades just sounds like military, so uh, I always, you know, uh, kind of remembered that. Um, there were this was the the Greco-Persian Wars, um, and there were a lot of uh, famous battles b- between them. The Battle of Thermopylae, of course, was one of them, but uh, the leader there was Leonidas and not uh, Miltiades. And um, so the the uh, women and children who were left in Athens. Um, were did not want to become subjects of Persia, so they had this this deal that if the Persians were going to win, they were all going to commit suicide. And um, after the Battle of Marathon was over, um, the the Persians, you know, had started to bring their ships around, and so the Greeks needed to let the women and children in Athens know, Hey, we won the battle. Don't kill yourselves. So mm-hmm. they sent Phidippides, the, the fastest mm-hmm. run we had 26.2 miles to uh, Athens to let them know we ran the whole way. Yep. We won. Don't, uh, don't kill yourself. But when he got there, he was so exhausted. He just yelled the Greek word for victory, which is Nike and dropped dead. Mm. <clears throat> And now we run that race voluntarily. Yep. Hopefully without dropping dead, but yes. maybe wearing Nikes. Uh, this battle's end was hastened by General A.P. Hill's reinforcements from Harper's Ferry. Prior to this battle, a copy of orders from General Lee was found by Union soldiers. Oh, McClellan um, failed to capitalize on. Right. This was... Oh, was a gosh. tactical draw. Yeah. Uh, was this Gettysburg? Nope. Uh, This battle gave Lincoln a chance to issue the Emancipation Proclamation. The bloodiest one-day battle in America. Oh, Antietam. Okay. Antietam. Antietam. Yeah. Yeah. Did it actually happen in Sharpsburg? Is that why they have this little star here? Uh, Or Battle of Sharpsburg. Yeah, maybe. More might be like what the South might have called it versus what the North Mm -hmm. called it. But Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't quite sure. I think I might have. I probably would have negged that question. But once you said bloodiest, I know that the Battle mm-hmm. of Antietam was the, definitely the bloodiest mm-hmm. day of the Civil War. Uh, crazy how bloodiest day, but also tactical draw. So hmm. kind of for nothing. Uh, all right. Um, as I said, this is all like historical events and things like mm-hmm. that. So mm-hmm. uh, Nedeljenko Kabrinovic tried to accomplish this act with a bombing earlier in the day. Uh, the July ultimatum was sent in response to this event, which was planned by the Black Hand, a pro-Serbian group. Oh, is this the assassination of um, Franz Ferdinand? It is the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand, yes. Yeah. Um, so Gavrilo Princip mm-hmm. killed the Austria-Hungarian royal, which triggered World War One. Kind of a little domino effect of, well, they're our allies, so we're going to protect them. So, okay, well you know, this guy's our ally, so we're going to protect them. And then it kind of dominoed up into the largest nations being in conflict with each right. other. Right. So the black hand, I think, was what uh, what gave that away mm-hmm. for me. Uh, just, And I, I don't know too much about him other than, like, I've heard that in, um, uh, in conjunction with Franz Ferdinand and his assassination. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, I know that Kabrinovic uh, threw a hand grenade that blew up the wrong car. So that's mm. why they mentioned him. He was like... The, they were basically like on high alert because they were like, oh, this other crazy guy threw a grenade. And then he was like, darn it. Now I actually have to <laughs> now I have to do something. Um, let's see. All right. During this battle, Marshal Ney led a cavalry assault that was turned back by infantry squares on the road to Brussels. It ended with the repulse of an attack by grenadiers of the Imperial Guard. And the arrival of Blucher's Prussian okay, army. So that's that's Waterloo. Yes. Um, and and again, this is one of those cases where I'm thinking, like once you mentioned Brussels and Grenadiers, uh, I'm thinking um, Battle of Waterloo, and I'm waiting for a clue that would put it over the edge. And Gebhard von Blucher and his uh, Prussian troops is, is what did it for me. So yeah, Napoleon was um hanging in there against uh, the the duke of wellington for a while and then once gevard von blucher showed up uh that was the end for napoleon he was um outflanked and uh didn't didn't have the ability to overcome that that was mm-hmm. that was it and uh we have just two more okay so uh let's see i should just one more sorry about that all right let's end on a good note all right. <laughs> a wagon train retreating from this battle was caught at Monterey Pass, but George Meade couldn't catch up to it. Uh, during this battle, Louis Amistad advanced to the high water mark of the Confederacy. Although Pickett's charge failed to turn okay, the tide. This is Gettysburg. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. Uh, the high water mark. That's, uh, you know, that's what uh, what kind of triggered me there. Because um, Gettysburg is in Pennsylvania and there really wasn't wasn't much fighting in the north uh in the civil mm-hmm. war so that would be the the high water mark and then of course pickets mm-hmm. charge um so is in it, colloquially they, when they say high water mark they mean like that's the closest the south got, got to like fighting in the north and well yeah i mean like you think about how sherman just ransacked the south um mm-hmm. you know all the way through savannah and mm-hmm. um yeah the the south tried to incur into the north but you know Mm -hmm. was always pushed back and as far north as they really got was was um gettysburg pennsylvania i mean there were some skirmishes in some of the northern states but Mm -hmm. 
it wasn't like the South controlled any territory in, in the North. Mm-hmm. Victory for George Meade over Robert E. Lee, turning point of the Civil War. Uh, let's see. Yeah, that's all I've got. Uh, so uh, my hope is hey, that. that was fun, uh, man. Thank you. I yeah, appreciate that. Was, that I'm was glad. Fun. That was fun. I'm glad. Uh, my hope is that this episode is a little bit of a lighter one, even though clearly it's going to be a little bit of a longer one. Uh, it's something that you can listen to and kind of, you know, be playing along. And uh, I think the fact that it will be more interactive will make it go a little bit more quickly. Um, and the hope is just that, you know, after you listen to an episode like this, you're like, oh, well, you know, I know that one because it was in that one episode where you talked about the most, uh, like the some of the most uh, frequent power clues, most frequent answer lines. Uh, and I think uh, one of the things that you you can't do enough of is... Like you can't say you can't learn enough about topics that you already know about. Like if you're like, oh, I know about the Nile River. Well, if you learn more in depth, Quizball actually rewards you for that. Uh, like power clues are a fantastic way to uh, like dig a little bit deeper and just put yourself above the pack when it comes to uh, everybody racing in, as I always say, uh, to say the first president of the United States, George Washington. Uh, so. Uh, my hope is that, uh, you know, after all that, you won't have to do a buzz phrase, Ken. I, uh, I, don't, I don't have one planned. <laughs> okay, good. But wait, do you have a pun? You got to come up with a pun and I'll give you, you know, 30 seconds or so to come up with a pun. Uh, and you can, you know, have the experience that I have during most podcasts. I, I'll tell you uh, what, I'll, I'll, I'll edit one in. <laughs> okay. All right. I'll hold you it's to been that. A, it's been a long day. Like we, yeah. we usually do this uh, in the, in the afternoon, but this is, uh, yeah. it's, it's actually way, way past uh, my bedtime. So. Absolutely. So uh, thank you for playing along, Ken. I appreciate it. Uh, I'm sure, as I said at the beginning of the episode, if you have any, uh, any compliments, then pass them forward to Ken. Uh, and if you have any complaints, you can send them my way. Um, because I was the one who wanted to try something a little bit different and, you know, experiment a little with the format. Uh, but this has been for 10 points. Uh, so thank you for listening to for 10 points, the best podcast on the web for everything quiz bowl related, whether you're a player, a coach, or just trying to improve, hopefully we have helped you get better. Uh, I'm your host, Andrew Triago, uh, signing off and Romeo. See you next time, everybody.